Well, let's turn this morning to John chapter 10, uh, the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter. And we're going to read together from the verse number 1. John chapter 10, verse number 1. Let's all hear the word of the living God. Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were, which he spake unto them. And then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Amen. May God bless this word to your hearts uh, today. I must confess, again, this week I had some difficulties uh, really settling upon a message uh, by way of meditation uh, this morning. And then yesterday morning, as I was uh, just going through my regular meetings, I came across this chapter in John uh, chapter 10. And I was really thinking about what our purpose is. Why are we here? Why do we meet here in this fashion month by month around the table? Well, of course, in a sense, we do it out of obedience. And the Lord has commanded us to meet in this fashion. But surely the child of God wants to be here. They want to be here to meditate upon the Lord, to consider Him. That ought to be the desire of every child of God. In our, in our Puritan Pages book club in the last meeting, uh, we're going through a book, Holy Helps for a Godly Life, and there's a chapter on the sacraments and some sections regarding the Lord's Supper. And in the Lord's Supper, we are encouraged as God's people to meditate. And the writer Roger says this, For at the supper he can and should meditate on the blessing of the banquet, on the love of him who ordained it, on the communion he has with Christ, on his graces, on the outward signs and what they assure him of, and on the word preached, which shows all him all these things. I guess it's hard to recall that entire list. I'm not asking you to do that right now. 
And the quotation was not without purpose. It was to remind you that it is your duty at this table to engage in spiritual meditation. You're here to engage your minds, to be thoughtful, to be thinking about the things of truth. And so right now, whatever you're doing right now in your mind, ask for God's grace to help you meditate. Whatever thoughts are filling your mind right now, ask the Lord to push them out. For here we must shut ourselves in with God. And we must, by God's grace, think upon the things of chief importance. Namely Christ, His person and His work. You see, I was struck in these verses in John chapter 10 by the language that the Lord uses. You take verse number 15 and following, where He says, I lay down my life. And that clause, it repeats itself several times in these verses. The idea, verse 17 and 18 also, that the Lord lays down His life. And surely that is language that is worthy of our meditation. Worthy of us to think through these things carefully for our spiritual nourishment and for our benefit. In these words, we see the Lord's person. and We see His love for us. We see the benefits that flow to us from Him. He is the good, the chief, the great shepherd, and he lays down his life for his sheep. And so as we think about this idea of the Lord laying down his life, please note, first of all, that in laying down his life, this is a voluntary act. Verse 18, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And this is a most joyful consideration that our Savior was free in his actions. Now you think of what we're looking at here. We're looking at the horrors of crucifixion. And in every crucifixion, a man is taken against his will. Even the guilty are seized and taken. The guilty do not volunteer for such a crime. They may even ask for themselves, can I have a time in prison rather than go through the horrors of crucifixion? Anything but the cross. Ask me to do anything, but don't put me upon the cross. And so the guilt, they are seized and they are taken and they are manhandled onto the cross, attached and then lifted up from earth to heaven. But our Savior, in His sovereignty and in His power, acts freely in subjecting himself to the ignominy of the cross. And beyond that, he acts freely in that he gives up his life. It's a voluntary act. And yet in that voluntary capacity, he acts as one, first of all, that is appointed. Verse 18 refers to this commandment, have I received of my Father. He is acting as one appointed He's acting under the Father's command. He is the appointed shepherd. Now that's significant in the context here because in the early verses, he's referred to himself in distinction from the thief and the robber. He is not such. He is not a thief. He is not a robber. He is not a hireling. Now the images are used, of course, are the images from the world of the shepherd. Again, so commonly used in the Old Testament regarding uh, the Lord, again in David's life, and then following that as Jehovah, who is our shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. 
But in John 10, the Lord uses the imagery of the sheepfold in various ways. At night, the shepherd would guide the sheep to a fold. Often it would be a stone structure, a stone wall structure, and there'd be a gap at the front or somewhere in that stone structure. And the shepherd would lay across the gap. They would protect the sheep. The gap, of course, the vulnerable place. And again, the sheep are safe in the walled structure, but the shepherd provides the final place of security for the sheep. He lays across the door. He is the door in that sense. But he's also one who enters in by the door, verse number 2. He is not going to steal the sheep and to harm the sheep, not as a robber, not as a wolf. You think the language used here, he is not about harming the sheep. The shepherd is here for the benefit, for the life of the sheep. So, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I say that's significant. It's significant in light of the Father's command. He is appointed to this rule. And I think of the language of Ezekiel chapter 34. I will set up one shepherd over them. And he shall feed them, even my servant David, he shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. It is imperative that the son of David be shown as the one singularly appointed shepherd. That is our Lord and Savior. And so in the book of John, in this gospel, John is pointing out time and time again, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believe in him and have life through his name. And so in John 10, the Lord is saying, I am that single appointed shepherd. And there is none other. Every spiritual guide outside Christ is a hireling and a robber be it the legalistic Judaism, or be it any false pagan religion, all of them will harm the souls of men. Only Christ serves for the benefit of a sheep. And so he is one appointed, but he is also acting as one that is commanded. Now this is not in contradiction to the idea of this being a voluntary act. He is acting as one He is acting under command. Verse 18 again, this commandment have I received of my Father. Has that of acting under authority. You see, he is freely, this is the voluntary aspect, he is freely obeying the Father's command. Let me ask you a question. Why does the Son of God obey the Father's command? to lay down his life and to take it again, but let's focus on the laying it down first. Why does the Son of God obey the Father's command to lay down his life? Now, the general standard evangelical answer will be something like this. Because he loves the sheep. And that's true. Praise God that's true. That our Savior in love for the sheep, was glad to obey the Father's command and lay down his life for the sheep. But there is something, if this is possible, even more robust and substantial than that. He obeys the Father's command to lay down his life because of his love for the Father. 
He gladly obeys the Father's command in love for the Father. The strength of the work of redemption is the union within the Trinity. It is not possible for the plan of redemption to fail because it is not possible for there to be division in the Trinity. Okay, or, or self-centered mindset. We, we, we delight, and again, I've said it's true, we delight to think of the shepherd's love for our souls, but the shepherd, the son, loves the father, and therefore he lays down his life for the sheep. It is the execution of the appointed, commanded plan of redemption for your souls. This table marks security, divine security. No doubt, no despair, no discouragement. We're here because God has appointed His Son to give His life for our souls. And He acts voluntary in that capacity. Praise God for the plan of redemption. So we see the Son, uh, we see the Lord, sorry, as the Son of God, as the incarnate shepherd in the mysteries of the Trinity, submitting to the Father. And as the lover of the sheep, wonder of wonders, consider the mystery. Don't waste your mind right now considering this world and all its troubles. Don't waste this opportunity. You can be thinking about the most glorious matters of divinity, the most glorious matters of salvation, and the devil's trying to flood your mind with things that are trifles in comparison. We are here to meditate upon the Lord. May God help us to do so. You see, in laying down his life, it is a voluntary act. Secondly, in laying down his life, it is a vicarious act. He lays down his life for the sheep. He lays it down for the sheep. You see, here we must see Christ's love and loyalty for the sheep. We should try to identify this group. Let me give you two terms to identify the sheep in John chapter 10. First of all, they are the elect of God's. Verse 16 refers to other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And what's involved there, I believe, is a reference to the Lord Jesus as a shepherd of the Gentiles, bringing Gentiles into the fold as part of the people of God. But you will see that they shall hear my voice in the future. They are not yet of this fold, but they shall hear his voice, but yet they are referred to in verse 16 as other sheep I have, not will have. I have them, and because I have them, therefore they will do this. It's a subtle reference, or perhaps not so subtle. It's a reference clearly to the sheep as the chosen, the elect of God, given to the Son by the Father before time began. And they are his Though they have not yet heard, and they have not yet believed, they belong to Christ Jesus. You see, verse 26 refers to the Jews at this time. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. does not say, ye are not my sheep because you don't believe. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. That is a sobering, sobering verse of Scripture. These are the words of Christ instructing us that the sheep are those who undeservingly are graciously chosen by the Father, not for good that I have done, chosen not for good in me. That sense of the elect as those who are the sheep of Christ. But they're also, importantly, 
They are the disciples of Christ. You see, we may not know and we do not know the eternal purpose of God in election, but we can identify the sheep because they are the disciples of Christ. They hear His voice and they follow Him. Verse 16 again, they shall hear my voice. And then run your eye down to verse number, the verse number 26 and following. But ye believe not because you're not of my sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. There's the distinction of the sheep. They hear the voice of Christ and they say, there's my shepherd. How do they do that? Well, the sinner is deaf in their sin. So they only hear the voice when their ear is opened by God's grace. The sinner have no heart to follow the Savior, but they gladly follow when their heart is changed. Again, John chapter 3, you must be born again to see and enter. And if I would say this way, and to hear the voice. You're born again, the Spirit of God, but such you're born again, they gladly hear His voice. Oh, they love to hear His voice. What a sweet voice it is. What gracious commands. Words to the weary as He invites them to come and have rest in the fold of God. You see, Christ, He lays down His life for the elect of God and for those who gladly follow Christ Jesus. Such an action, such a vicarious act, acting in their place, in their room instead, such a vicarious act is particular and not general. It has a focus, a focus upon a people, not a general redemptive act that would serve anybody who may believe, but a redemptive act that saves all who will believe. And so the obvious statement is, If you are a disciple of Christ, you need not doubt for a second the love of Christ for your soul. The Lord laying down his life for you is in so many ways just the heartbeat of the gospel. Philip Doddridge, the old divine, prays this. May the vision of Christ crucified be so familiar to my mind. And may a sense of his dying love so powerfully motivate me that I may never question that I am one of those for whom he intended this feast of love. This is for you. This feast is for you because Christ is for you, dear child of God. And you say, well, how do I know that? Well, did you hear his voice? Did you follow him? Are you gladly following him in this world? As you examine yourself, you see all of your faults, but you know your heartbeat is toward Christ and not the world. You know that, dear child of God. And if you don't, you have a major, major question to ask. Because the child of God, born again, loves the Savior's word. Gladly follows, believes, and trusts in him. This vicarious act. And thirdly, and finally, and briefly, As he lays down his life, it is also a victorious act. Verse 18, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. In the resurrection, we see that death is defeated. The Savior lives, he dies, and he rises again the third day. Why? That we might know life. Verse 10, 
I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The success of the Savior's work, he is not a shepherd that fails to keep the sheep safe. He succeeds. They shall never perish. They live and they shall never die. Matthew Henry, his comments are edifying on this section of John chapter 10, and he looks at this issue of life more abundantly in two areas. He thinks it is true, and it could be true uh, comparatively. We have life more abundant than the life we lost, the life we forfeited by sin, wasted lives and sin, now life victorious in Christ. That's life more abundant. We've life more abundant than that promised by Moses in the law. We've life in Christ. That's a joyful comparison. But he says also, and I love this, Christ came to give life more abundant, something more, something better. Listen to this little phrase. Life with advantage. That in Christ we might not only live, but live comfortably. Live plentifully, live and rejoice, live in abundance. Sorry, life in abundance is eternal life. Life without death or fear of death, life and much more. Now, Henry is writing these words in days of profound human suffering, where children often died young, and many parents had the grief in their hearts forever of losing children in their youth. He's living in days of profound suffering when the church is under persecution. And yet he still understood that in Christ's life eternal is life more abundant. Oh, that God would give us such a sight. You see, in the context of John, you go to John chapter 11. My reading this morning, and you have John chapter 11 in the resurrection of Lazarus, where the Lord says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do you believe this? The victory of Christ's resurrection? You see, we are here to meditate, to consider his person, Son of God, Savior of sinners, to consider his work on our behalf as he gives his life, lays down his life for his sheep. And we are to do so realizing that we receive great benefits from our Savior. That he is not saving us to mock us, but to bless us, to lead us to life and life eternal, communion with God. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Those words will often sound hollow in the backslider's heart because they sometimes sound hollow in my heart. We feel the loss of this world's goods and we don't properly value the life that we have in Christ Jesus. And so we come time and time again back to the same place till he comes. Till faith is made sight. When we live by faith now, and we long for that day that we will see him and be like him. So those of you who have that hope, purify yourself, even as he is.